Hey y'all, Katie here with Team Evo AZ. Thank you so much for following us and listening to our podcast. Here is season three, and we are super excited for this season. As you know, we are based in the Phoenix, Arizona area, servicing buyers and sellers throughout the Valley. But what you might not have known is we are expanding nationwide. So if you know of anyone that might be looking to get into the real estate business or needs to buy or sell a property, but it is not in Arizona, we can still help. Please feel free to message us and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it's Katie and Matt (laughs) and Ryan. And we are back with season three. I can't even believe You've you've tolerated talking with me, my love, for this long. It's crazy. For these three many seasons. seasons. <laughs> well, two full seasons. We're on season three, episode one. <laughs> of course. Of That's course we are. Last year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cliffhanger last season. And of course, we are starting with a bang with our monthly real estate update with Ryan. Welcome, Ryan. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Ryan, tell our here. tell our people who you are for those of them that don't know. Yes, my name is Ryan Gilliam. I'm a senior loan officer with Waterstone Mortgage. Been in the industry for 16 years now. I'm, I'm kind of aging myself, but uh, and I've, I've worked with you guys for many years, and and uh, the best team in the business. <laughs> Aww, we feel the same way about you. In fact, you. I was um, not going to name any names, but I was on the phone with Title the other day, and my Title lady said, you know, it was a I didn't have the buyer right, so the buyer had a different lender. And my title lady just finally said, don't you hate it when people don't use Ryan? That's <laughs> <laughs> very nice of them I to say knew. that. <laughs> yeah. So we're constantly singing your praises, even if it's, uh, you know, somebody else who has not worked with you yet, for sure, we sing your praises. Oh, um, but anyway, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us. Let's get started yes. with your stats and your stuff. I've got a couple of slides for you. Um, Take it away, Ryan. Let us know what's going on. What's happening with rates? Yeah. So um, first and foremost, you know, we did see a little bit of a jump in rates. You probably noticed that in the news. And that was to be expected. And and a lot of that has to do with uh, some confidence that we're seeing now that uh, the vaccines are are rolling out and and we are seeing a a decrease in COVID cases, a pretty sharp decrease, which which is uh, very optimistic. Um, so that's why we saw a little bit of a jump, but um, we actually have been getting a lot of news from the Fed. The Fed chairman, uh, Jay Powell, did say that they are committed to buying mortgage-backed securities to keeping rates low for the long haul. So that, that's promising. That's really what kept rates low when COVID first hit is, you know, uh, the Federal Reserve, they wanted to keep people borrowing money. They wanted to keep uh, liquidity available. So that's why they bought down interest rates. And that's why, um, you know, we saw such a spike in, in home buying last year. And that, that's going to continue. They are going to continue to do that. They've made that announcement. So that's one reason why rates are going to continue to be low. Another one here is, you know, there was a lot of debt that was taken out with the stimulus, obviously. You know, the CARES Act, and we have another stimulus coming up. So when that happens, the government does go into debt, and that does actually lower interest rates. So that's one thing that's going to pressure things lower as well. And on top of that, uh, you could actually show one of the slides that I gave you here. I think it was the uh, panic euphoria. Got it. And this will be interesting. A lot of people uh, thought this was uh, a helpful slide. Yeah. Thank you, Katie. Um, so what, what this is showing, this is very interesting, um, is, is the euphoria index. And what this means basically is when people are getting really excited and and putting a lot of money into the stock market, this chart goes up. So you could actually see around 
2000 and 2001, that it was at its highest at 1.5. Mm-hmm. And right after that, it dropped. And what, what, what happened there? That was the dot-com bubble and the stock market dropped. And then you could see in 2006 and seven, it got high again. And then of course it dropped. And that was when we had our you know, recession. So this really does kind of show, um, you know, how high euphoria is. And right now, if you look at the very right hand of the corner of this chart, it's at the highest, it's at the highest it's ever been. Wow. And so, so, you know, I I can't predict it or anything, but what a lot of people are, you know, that their radar is up. This could mean that there's a little bit of a stock market correction that we could see here coming up. So when that happens, when money is moving out of the stock market, it goes into the mortgage bond market and mortgages stay low as well. So that's why I wanted to show this chart. You know, no one has a crystal ball, but a lot of, you know, industry experts in terms of the stock market are kind of looking at this index and, and uh, you know, kind of waving a red flag that something might be happening here this year. But uh, so those three things are really going to pressure uh, interest rates to be low. You know, that the Fed coming in and keeping rates low by buying mortgage-backed securities a possible pullback in stocks, and of course, more debt being taken out. So uh, I do feel like we're going to be at low rate territory for the long haul. And that's that's really driving a lot of buyers right now is they're wanting to capitalize on that the lower rates. You feel like that? Yeah, I do. I think there's a yes. lot that's, that's driving buyers at this moment. Um, I think it's, you know, nationally, I think there's motivations in each, you know, individual city states that are motivating factors arizona has their own um i think rates but i think inventory is another thing you know everyone wants what they can't have and if they feel like they're going to fall behind the eight ball and that there's all there's more motivation which makes me a little nervous not nervous but yeah let's just say it a little nervous because it's it's kind of uncharted territory um for at least me doing this in the almost two decades of seeing this low of inventory. Yeah, I just aged no myself. Yeah, <laughs> we, we both are today, aren't we? <laughs> been selling it since I was three years old. Okay, <laughs> big forty this year. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, and I, I think that's that's definitely a, a driving factor is the low rates. I think what you said, Ryan, though, is kind of what what needs to happen is like kind of give people the feeling that hey it's not the end of the world and you got to go and you got to do this now because you're not you're going to lose out on this rate no kind of really assess what your long-term goals are what your short-term goals are and if where that house falls into that yeah totally agree yeah and uh, yeah if katie if you want to bring up the other chart we can kind of that kind of leads into these numbers here um this was pulled from an article that I was reading about, um, oh, that's perfect, about housing forecasts for the year. And, and uh, it's interesting because it's not just, you know, the low rates and the higher demand. Obviously, there's a lot of millennials now that are jumping into the market. You know, the, the millennials since the baby boomers was one of the biggest generations in terms of population growth. And they're all becoming, you know, 33, 34 right now. And that's, that's the hot age of buying a home for the first time. So we, we got the low rates, we got the high demand, and on top of that, um, construction has really been extremely low. You know, the lack of, of new homes is really what's what's causing prices to jump up so much. And I, I read an article where the U.S. is short 3 million homes right now, by wow. some estimates. And that's really just because, you know, we can't build homes fast enough. There, there's too few workers, there's not enough buildable lots. Um, there's rising costs, of course, on top of that. 
Um, yeah, because over the past 12 months, the cost of materials has gone up 7%. And lumber alone has soared 70%. So that, that's kind of, yeah. So that, that's, that's crazy. So that's kind of why you see these stats where single family starts, they haven't jumped up that much this year. They're only looking to grow 4% and, and multifamily starts are even dropping. So in new home sales, just because of during COVID, there wasn't as so much construction, that's actually dropping, which is not a good sign, you know, but of course, existing home sales do show a jump. But uh, this does show the year end 30 year fixed rate, and they were predicting three and a half percent by the end of the year. Some people think that's high. Um, some people are thinking it's going to be more around three and a quarter, which is still historic lows. But we do feel like we're going to kind of get a dip before it maybe increases towards the end of the year. So I wanted to make sure that we showed that. And, and again, you know, the year end price change, they are expecting 7% increase in prices this year. Yeah, you know, um, I was just at a new home builder over the weekend and I was, you know, meeting with a buyer and we were talking with the sales agent and she had brought up lumber prices. She's like, you know, yeah. it's crazy how much they're going up and, you know, how much a lot of things are going up, but specifically lumber. And not only is the market driving the new build uh, communities to raise their prices quite frequently frequently, but so are supply, um, you know, yeah. supply prices. I've got a really interesting slide to kind of piggyback off of um, yours that I'd like to share really quick that I thought I shared this with Matt last night and we, uh, we kind of thought this was interesting. So change in housing inventory compared to this time last year. So the, the biggest changes are these dark red states. Look at this, wow. look at how many states have just plummeted in inventory. Over 50%, it's insane. It's insane. And of course, here we are over here, Arizona. I mean, our number is, is pretty high. You know, we're at the high end of, of 50 there. Um, thought it was kind of funny that New York didn't really dip <laughs> quite as much <laughs> in their inventory. And they're the only ones. <laughs> no, they're moving pretty quick. The only blue on there. Yeah, I think, you yeah. know, if people are moving out of the big city really yep. and moving to the suburbs. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. You know what I mean? And yeah, there's taxes are really high and you can kind of see that in those areas that are really kind of motivating those, those moving factors. And also winter, you know, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people were stuck inside and really assessed what they wanted to do and where they wanted to spend their life. And it wasn't in the cold <laughs> weather. Uh, um, yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, I thought it was too. Um, a couple of other stats just to sort of randomly toss out there um, is, you know, everybody, well, not everybody, but I see a lot kind of out in the public. Oh, there's a crash coming. Oh, all these foreclosures. I know we've been talking about it for months on this show, um, but a, a very interesting statistic that came out this morning or probably came out a couple of days ago, but I heard it this morning um, from a publication I love, Keeping Current Matters. 57% of homes across the country have 50% of equity or more. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, maybe they're falling on hard times. Maybe they can't make their mortgage, but they're going to be able to sell. Look at the inventory levels. And if they've got that much equity, like that's just a, yeah, that's just a no brainer. Well, and then it's also a motivating factor to anyone that does have equity in their home to make sure that they're paying their mortgage. They would be less likely to stop paying that versus other forms of payment, whether it be credit cards or things that are, you know, um, a little bit more expendable. Um, back, you know, everyone kind of uses 2008 as their baseline on where people place 
homes as as that on that on that level of what's most important. Well, that's because no one had any equity and they had crazy loan terms. Now most most of these people have refied in the last year or two. They have low rates. They have a ton of equity. They're not going to give that up. They're not going to they're not going to make those mistakes. So I think that that is kind of an insulator um, to this big real estate crash that a lot of people are are kind of talking about, but I think mostly wishing for, um, you yeah. know, um, there's a I, lot of people that are honestly priced out of our market Yeah, and they are, yeah. they want it to fall so that they can get into it. And I've heard that, which I've had those conversations too. I can totally get it. I understand. I think there's a lot of people that have wanted to buy. And I think, you know, first, especially first time home buyers, mm-hmm. you know, you know, what are they thinking right now? It's, it's definitely a very, very difficult arena to be playing in. Ryan, what do you think about first time going right now? Yeah, it could kind of piggyback on what you're saying. Um, you know, people have equity right now. And even when the uh, the CARES Act and the forbearance that people were able to take on their mortgages is, is ending, you know, even if those people could continue to not be able to pay the mortgage, they're going to list their home. They're not going to foreclose. You know, they don't need a short sale like back in 2006 through eight, exactly. you know, um, and we need more inventory. So, you know, it, it's great that there's that much equity in there because hopefully, you know, if they can't afford the mortgage, some of those homes will hit the market and, and uh, give us a little bit more inventory that we're needing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we absolutely need the inventory. Sellers, mm-hmm. sellers, hear us loud and clear. <laughs> if you are ready to move or do something different, move to that island in Tahiti. You know what I mean? Like go um, and please give us a call because we need your house. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> um, last, last month when we chatted, we had talked about that really, you know, here in the Phoenix area, that really popular mm-hmm. price point. And that's between 300 and 400,000. Super yes. popular. The majority, you know, most of the showings are happening in that price point. Um, and so last month, if you remember those statistics, we had about 800 homes valley-wide that were in that price point. So that's not just one specific location. That's like, we're huge, right? Yeah. So it's all over the valley. We had about 800 homes. We, we had about 41,000 showings in 30 days in that price point. Wow. Okay. It got worse. Um, so <laughs> I, I do have the slides, but I'll just tell you, um, in yeah. that price point, we are, um, as of last night, we were at 565 available homes. So went down from 800. And over a 30-day period, we had 46,000 showings. Wow. <laughs> yeah. In the math. So foreclosures ain't going to happen, most likely, people out there. Um, if you're looking to buy, I would get in ASAP before appreciation is, happens. If it yeah, is that off. the advice? Is that the advice you're giving? Because I, you know, working with a lot of clients, I know you guys are too. That you know, there, there's so few homes on the market, and the ones that are available in that price point, they're they're having multiple offers, 10, 15 offers over asking price. You know, what advice are you giving to you know first time home buyers or who are trying to get in there, just getting priced out? Um, well, we're really having to give it to them straight and really set expectations yeah. up front and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be asking you to come to the table with cash to make up for an yeah. appraisal difference because in that price point, I'm seeing us having to go 20, 25, in some cases, $50,000 over the purchase price in order to secure right. it. Um, and so just really setting expectations and saying, hey, you know what? This is a really great time in real estate for you to get into it, but here are the hoops you're going to have to jump through. I just want you to know that up front. Yeah, that's great. And those those are big hoops. And it's it's really, especially for first-time home buyers, 
to really digest that as a, a challenge is difficult because I've never really danced this dance. Right. Um, yes. It's kind of this thing that you tell them, but they don't understand it until, you know, the poop hits the fan and that appraisal <laughs> comes in low and it's the matter of $5,000 and the seller's like, well, take a hike. I got 10 people behind you that want to pay for it. Right. I'm not taking this offer because they wanted to raise, you know, and they waive their appraisal contingency. So I think, you know, one of the biggest thing for buyers right now is to really be real with yourself. Don't get caught up in this. This is the last time I'm going to be able to buy a home. This is the last time I'm going to be able to get a low interest rate. If I don't do this, our future is ruined. It's not the case at all. A wise investor once told me, and this was about a decade ago, that if you're really in a position that you're buying something that's motivated from an investment stance, from a logical stance, not emotional, and you start to become emotional and think that this is the last opportunity and you need to make it, you need to walk away because now your emotions are involved and you're really, really setting yourself up to make a bad decision. And I think there's a lot of people that could potentially be doing that and it might not be buying bad, but it could be really putting themselves in a position to stress their current lives. And if you're someone that really is just feeling like I need to buy now and I, and I don't really have that much money saved and I'm really not prepared, but I just want to do it because everyone says I need to, you really want to look in the mirror and look at your finances and think about it because yeah, you might get that home, but it might cost you a lot of stress your relationships with your family, relationships with your boss, a lot of things. And I think a lot of people are dealing with that. We're seeing that with our buyers right now. People are emotional. so stressed and so very frustrated. Emotional. They're they're wanting to point blame at people, which it's it's not. It's it's a market it's condition. Market. And now relationships are falling apart and we're seeing it left and right. Yeah. So that's why it's a real important thing to know what you're doing before you jump into this, I think. Absolutely true. And I don't think it's the absolute you know, last time anybody's no, going to be able close. to buy, but I do think it's a great time. Absolutely. Coupled with the fact that we know we're going to appreciate in the next year or so, right? Up to 20% is what we're hearing from the real estate mm -hmm. gurus in the area. Right That's now, we know what the interest rates are at. Um, mm -hmm. So it's definitely a good time. But wise man once said, I might know the same wise man. It's <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You can't, you can't stress yourself out in, in, absolutely self-destruct like Matt was describing just to get into a home and, and we're seeing that and it's sad well and especially like if you're buying a home and Ryan you know this too if you're yeah. buying a home they even say that you don't include your primary residence on your investment sheet like right. if you're really looking at what your True. net worth and all this right. is you really don't even calculate what your personal home's equity is and a lot of people are now kind of doing that. They're literally saying, this is right. going to be my investment and we're going to lose out, which mm -hmm. that's a scary thing to do because now what you're doing is home is supposed to be home where you're yes. comfortable, where you want to spend time, where you want to graze. Mm -hmm. Now, if all of a sudden you're removing that emotion from what home really represents just to buy this asset, that's going to make you money. You're right. really, really setting yourself up for worse problems down the road versus yeah. oh, seven or 10 or 15% equity, mm -hmm. you know, even 30%. What is it really worth? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great advice. We're seeing a lot of that right now. You know, there's a lot of emotion, you know, when, when uh, you know, there's kind of some panic out there when rates are low when inventory is low, people are watching the news and, and knowing how hot the market is, you know, there's that sense of urgency where everybody wants to get in as soon as they can. You know, when you have that sense of urgency, demand spikes. And sometimes you're right. You got to kind of take a step back and just still make sure that it's a good financial decision for you. You got to go over your budget, go over, 
you know, income, debt to income, you know, maybe pay off credit cards first. You know, that's usually what we kind of walk our clients through, especially if they're not really able to qualify for the price point that they're looking for, you know? So, so it's usually, you can qualify now, but let's put you on tra a trajectory of qualifying for more and being more stable, having the money that you need down the road. So that's something we always try to have conversations about. That's huge. What kinds of things are you guys advising or, or doing to help um, your clients keep their emotions? Um, you know, obviously we're human, we're going to have emotions, but to kind of keep them, uh, you know, manage them, help them manage them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely, you know, when people qualify for a home mortgage, it's, it's incredible because you can really qualify for up to 55% of your gross income for a mortgage and all of your other debts. And we really feel like that's, that's way too much. You know, we don't want, we don't want our clients to be house poor. So what we're really trying to do is, is, you know, give them a realistic idea of, you know, what they, they should be budgeting for in terms of what their payment should be, you know, what kind of price point that that equates to if, if even there's homes out there in that price range. You know, we talk to a lot of people right up front that they say, you know, I want my payment to be 1200. And then we, we determine that the house at $1,200 is just not going to be the house that they really want. Right. So, you know, we're having that kind of tough discussions up front and, you know, also considering maybe having co-signers, maybe even having uh, someone else join them on the loan. You know, we actually have a lot of people whose parents are moving in with them and, and um, you know, having the parents income combined with the, the children's income, you know, we could, we could really upgrade the house. And we're seeing a lot of that lately. So we're just trying to have those discussions and trying to strategize with everybody uh, on what to do, what kind of price point to look for and, and tools and strategies to maybe qualify for the right home down the road. Great advice. That's great advice. And I especially like that, you know, getting a co-signer and not so much just to have someone else help you out with the quality of the loan, but it's also another voice of reason. When you start, exactly. you know, approaching these other people to say, hey, this is how I'm going to make it work. That voice might really resonate amongst that buyer's ears to say, you know what, right now isn't the right time. And I'm mm -hmm. listening to what these people have to say where they're not listening to anyone else, especially their internal voice, because it's kind of what's motivating them. Um, yeah. So I think that's huge. That's, that's an awesome take. Mm -hmm. You had some other interesting news. Yeah, you know, um, this was kind of, I, I thought it was interesting. Our Arizona right now has the highest eviction um, notification in the country. So that means that the most landlords in the country have filed for eviction. Um, it's really, really interesting. Um, a few things, because obviously we have this moratorium going on that's protecting uh, tenants. Um, all the way until March 31st, the end of this, this month. Um, there's a lot of tenants out there that have really leaned on this and rightfully so. I think there's a lot of people that are encountering some financial distress and they do, do need a little help and it falls in. But I'm also very realistic and I know that we live in a world where we're gonna take advantage and take the path of least resistance, most humans will, and, and they'll take advantage of certain situations. And I think we're seeing that in those numbers because it's motivating people to actually file it. Right. Then you look at how many people are showing up and it's like 35% of these evictions are showing up to court, which is like almost 100% more than normal. It's like around 15 to 20% of those would normally show up, the tenant that's being evicted would show up to the court to actually defend, defend their position. Right. And and now it's 35%, which makes you think 65% of people are like, we're not even showing up, screw it, you know, we're out. <laughs> which says a lot about what tenants, you know, think in that position, which kind of sucks. Um, that being said, 
with all this happening and if all of a sudden the moratorium's lifted and all of a sudden, you know, these evictions start happening, that means it's, it's kind of a, a, the byproduct of this could create more of an inventory as far as rentals go, which yes. could alleviate a lot of those people that are looking to sell and say, you know what, we're looking to sell. We want to buy, but we don't want to buy right off the bat. We might want the market to simmer a little bit, decide what we're going to do. This might really open up an avenue for those sellers to really feel confident with selling their home. The, by, the other byproduct is, is if all of a sudden that starts happening, the rental market softens a little bit because more inventory is happening. There is a boatload of investors that have been holding investment properties since 2010. A yeah. boatload. Mm-hmm. Banks that are, and they could all of a sudden start looking at their metrics and saying, yeah, we are encroaching, approaching, excuse me, a, a possible shift in markets. If this is getting soft, maybe this is the best time to sell, which could give us the inventory that we're kind of looking for. Now, these are just hopeful things that I think that we should all kind of look forward to and kind of be optimistic that, yeah, it could be the downfall of one market, but could prop up another. So that's kind of my take on it. And I do see some light at the end of the tunnel on that. Trying to see a silver lining and everything. And also, you know, when I was talking about construction, you know, uh, it's interesting. We're seeing much more construction companies looking into other ways of building actually, you know, that they're trying to become more efficient and more effective. And we're seeing more and more do prefabricated homes now um, and manufactured homes are actually becoming more and more popular because that's kind of right in the first time home buyer, um, you know, price range, you know, they they average usually around 200 to 250 for those homes in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I think that's really exciting to see maybe some of these builders kind of leaning towards more prefab manufactured homes. And hopefully that could help out inventory a little bit as well. And as far as a pr- like qualifications go, Ryan, like can is, is if, if it's a fixed, you can still lend on it and it's still yes. a, a, a great investment, right? It is. Yeah. As long as it's a fixed, you know, there's some other guidelines, you know, it has to be built after 1975. Um, you know, we have to have an engineering cert. There's a few other things that are thrown into it because, you know, that they're more unique than like a single family or a condo, for instance. But um, it's the same kind of financing. We could do the grant program. We could do down payment assistance on manufacturing homes now. You know, you could do FHA with three and a half percent down. So, yeah, yeah, those are those are great options. One more thing that I kind of want to add, and that was on the new bill front, which was also not alarming, but it, it made my brain go, hmm. Um, was when Kate, you went out and you were with these new build clients and they were pretty much saying these new builds were ultimately saying, Hey, if you went, you bid now, we're not going to break ground for eight to 10 months. And the completion of your home is not going to be eight to 12 months after that. We're literally looking at people putting down big deposits on today's market conditions for a product 24 months from now. Yeah. 24 months is a long time. Mm -hmm. And and my thought is, is like, it's just like in, you know, you look at the roaring twenties. Okay. And you look at one of the things that really propped up the roaring twenties we have happening in our marketplace right now is, you know, coming off the Spanish flu, um, as silly as this might sound prohibition, we're seeing that in the marijuana markets and all these other things that are like really stimulating things. And I feel like people are going to crawl out of this COVID cave in the next eight to 10 months. And within 12 to 13 months, they're going to really slingshot back to the epicenter, slingshot back to life. And I feel like where all these new builds are being built are way out, you know, further out, further removed. And a lot of people are going to start thinking in 12 to 13 months, what are we doing? We're living 45 minutes to an hour and a half away from the epicenter, away from our sporting events and, 
and concerts and all the things that were the driving forces behind our economy pre-COVID. And are people going to start backing out? And if you know the second builders start losing, they can drop their prices dramatically, yeah. which reverberates kind of yeah. throughout the rest of, you know, the valley. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to say, but I do see that it's nerve wracking that people are two years out. Well, it, in, I mean, I had to like pick up my jaw from the ground, you know, this kind of thing, like you've ever seen in the cartoons, because I was like, okay, we're not going to break ground until December. And then it's another like eight to 12 months from there <laughs> before. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, if you even break ground in December. Now, truth be told, that was a week ago. Yeah. And we have now moved up. We're breaking ground in November. Yay us. Um, All right. So we're going to okay. gain and we're going to end up breaking ground maybe hopefully this summer and so it won't be such a big gap but I came home and told him that and he was like oh my gosh and I felt that same way in the office I was like wow I don't know I don't know what the market's going to be like in two years yeah that's going to be interesting yeah. what's what are appraisals going to be like like I don't know yeah, it could be or I wonder how much appreciation you're going to have in that home after two years you know that you just have seven to twenty percent in two years that <laughs> could be yeah, a pretty good hard. investment you're not making a making one payment on <laughs> exactly it could be crazy so who knows and i think the the closer lying new builds aren't going to be as effective but the ones that i'm thinking about are the ones that are mm -hmm. really out there Way those out. builders that are like listen we can pick up land cheap you know we're 30 minutes east of queen creek you know what <laughs> i mean like I mean, right. going out to these places that people are saying really um so yeah it's it's a thought but i, I do see i see see some of these indicators yeah. And I, I love that we have all of this information and we can come together and we can share our experiences and things like that. But I mean, really, at the end of the day, none of us and even, you know, even the greats, you correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think anybody really has a crystal ball. So it's just no. kind of interesting, you know, just to see how things unfold. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. You got anything else for us, Ryan? Oh, that was it. I think we covered a lot. This has been a great cool. chat. Great. <laughs> It, like always. Like always. Thank you so much, Ryan Gilliam with Waterstone Mortgage for being with us today. Do I sound like a, one of those radio announcers? Um, <laughs> everybody, we need you to do us a favor and like, comment, follow, download um, our podcast because we really, really want to get the real news out to the real people. Tag somebody that you think this information, um, you know, they really need this information. Maybe they're in the market. Maybe they're thinking about getting in the market. Maybe they're worried about what's going on in the market. Tag them in this, um, this episode here because it really was a great chat. And next month we will be back with another market update. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Ryan. Ryan. Bye, Bye everyone. Thanks for having me. <laughs>